0: dot com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alex Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, and joining us on set today for this uh, edition of the podcast, our good friend, our colleague, Stu Holden. Stu, you look wonderful. Your pants are tight as usual. Happy Uh, to be here, boys. Your hair looks great. (laughs) Uh, You were just telling us before we came on air that um, you had some uh, celebrity sightings this week.
2: Yes, uh, I saw a couple days ago, Dr. Dre. Uh, eating at Boa Steakhouse in Santa Monica, the same restaurant where years ago I saw Steven Gerrard. So I've deduced just based on those two sightings like five years <laughs> apart that that is a hot celebrity.
3: Uh, my favorite game is, does Alexei Lalas know that celebrity? Uh, what did Dr. Dre do?
1: Well, he's a rapper.
3: Okay, that's right? a
2: good
1: start. I think he's a producer. Um, do you know, I, I, I a can't certain tell you headphone?
3: One Do you know a certain headphone?
1: Oh, he did the Bose. Uh, no, not, not the Bose. Bose, uh, uh, Bose is an, a brand What's the other one? Uh, Beats by... Beats by Dre, right? He sold it for like uh, a billion dollars or Apple, something like yeah. that. So there we go. I can't tell you one <laughs> song uh, that uh, that he does, but I know he's very, very uh, famous, to your point, uh, and popular. All right, so listen, we brought Stu in because we are coming to you this week. And uh, if, if this is dropping on a Thursday, then we are 102 days out from the Qatar World Cup. Uh, in November and December, but this is the week when basically we're celebrating a hundred days out I cannot believe that it's only a hundred days away It's gonna go like that and the World Cup will be upon us and so what we thought we'd do is and I'll give you a little primer uh, bring in like I said Stu Holden to talk about some different things out there and Look, we're gonna be lucky enough to be in country in Qatar bringing it to you every single day Cranking out all sorts of content, especially when it comes to the digital stuff that we uh, that we do, and we get to go to these games and we get to talk about these games. Stu, in particular, gets to go and call these games with our good friend uh, John games. Strong. Lots of lots of lots of games. So what we thought is, at least initially, to identify some really really big games, at least in our minds, uh, that are must see. I mean, the whole World Cup is must see but there are specific games uh, that are out there. I did call John Strong earlier before we came on air, and he was in accord with a lot of the stuff that we came up with here. So, all right, so I'm going to start off with um, Belgium, Canada, November 23rd in the Al Rayon Stadium on Big Fox. Now, Belgium, we're going to talk a whole lot about Belgium later on in the show here. Uh, Belgium, uh, perennial favorites, but have not quite lived up to billing over the years and Canada. Our friends from the great white north. Uh, Last time they were at a men's World Cup was 1986, so they are back. I'll be fascinating to see what Belgium looks like in yet another World Cup, trying to live up to all the hype, and Canada coming back to the World Cup uh, for the first time. Any problems with that game?
3: I love that game. I mean, Belgium, this is really uh, the the golden generation that is bronzed. And Probably they're the last hurrah that you're going to see Lukaku and maybe De Bruyne as a part of a group that has a a chance to make some noise. I mean, the last time we saw them in a World Cup, they lost to France in the semifinals. They had that great result against Brazil in the quarterfinals where you thought, man, maybe Belgium can go on and win this thing. And they didn't. Disappointing in the Euros, disappointing in the Nations League. And really, it's not setting up that well for them. But this is going to be their first game of the tournament against a Canadian team that is just going to be bursting with excitement to be there, super talented, and I think could cause some problems to, to that Belgian team.
2: I do wonder if some of that feel-good factor with Canada dissipated because of that whole kerfuffle with the Federation. So they need you to kind so? of get that back before November. But no, certainly a talented team, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David. So yeah, curious to see how they stack up against obviously really talented Belgians.
1: All right. So when I when I picked these five games, uh, I did it in chrono- chronological order. Um, so That's the first nice game, of you. So yeah. we can
2: plan our, our
1: weeks ahead. A- exactly. Yeah. And look, like I said, there's plenty of other games that are incredible that we will be working that you should be watching. But so that was on November 23rd, uh, and certainly the U.S. Ha- you know has that first game against Wales, which is going to be bonkers and wonderful. But when it comes to these five games. England, USA on Black Friday. I think anybody out there, uh, whether you're an American fan or not, is going to tune into that. On Big Fox, uh, they have met twice in the World Cup uh, already. U.S. winning 1-0 in 1950, famously, and then 1-1 in that draw in 2000, uh, 2010. Keep in mind, this is going to be the second game uh, for both teams in the tournament. A lot on the line. What what happens in that first game with the U.S.-Wales, obviously, is going to play a lot and, and define a whole lot of what happens into that US-England game. But I think a lot of people are targeting this for a number of reasons, not the least of which it has the capacity to be the highest viewed soccer game in US television history. On that Black Friday, after Thanksgiving, everybody home, World Cup going crazy, a November and December World Cup. So a lot of people are there and able to see it and home. Um, And a lot of people are looking for that upset when it comes to a US perspective.
3: I mean, certainly that's the first game I think that every single person here, the US men's national team, the guys that play in England, like that's the date that you circled. And when we saw the date where it landed, the potential for the viewing audience for that, but also then what that that game, I I think that game is the one that decides the group. If we're expecting that the United States can advance, if we expect that England advance and that both teams win their first games, that's going to be the game that you think, okay, if we want to win the group, we've got to beat England. In 2010, when we played England, we viewed it the same way. We tied England in that match. It was our opening match. And we felt that that at that time was kind of a bonus point because England was expected yep. to smash us. And England, by all accounts, if you look at the way that their press has treated uh, their group, the disrespect out there right now for the way <laughs> that once again, they think that England is going to steamroll through this match. I think they will, st- they will beat Iran in the first match, England, and then they're going to have the USA. And that's the game I think that could get a little dicey for them. And, I'm excited for that one. I I think that's going to be the one where all eyes and really that kind of momentum moment where we're going to get a sense, can A, the U.S. can get out of the group, but B, can they actually do something when it gets to the knockout stages? If you perform against England, that's going to show the world that you can.
2: Uh, I keep talking about this three-day stretch on Fox. Thursday, the 24th, Giants-Cowboys Thanksgiving game. Friday, the 25th, England-USA. And then Saturday, Saturday. November 26th. Michigan at Ohio State—a game of great importance <laughs> to myself and to both your wives. I'm wondering if they're going to get together again this year. We know how that worked out. It didn't last go year. Out
3: so well last year. We we're getting a lot of David Mossy yeah, texts during fun. that one, where Michigan kicked their butt, man.
1: I love you. You're such a company man. I love it. I love it. I love that you're able to get that <laughs> Did in. You go to the
3: seminar last uh, week. I mean, listen,
1: it, it is going to be the, the expansion of that tent. It already will have been growing because of the uh, World Cup, but even people that aren't into soccer or don't even care much about the World Cup, that is going to be on their radar. And they're gonna, like I said, they're going to be home. And so it's going to be fun. And let's see if the U.S. Again, if it doesn't go well for the U.S. in the first game against Wales, then that yeah, game becomes even... Pressure I mean, exactly. game, right? Like a game you that you have get to get points. a point out of. You've got to get yeah. at the very least a point out of it. So uh, that's a no-brainer. All right. Uh, we, t- we talked about our friends up to the Great White North. How about our friends down south with Mexico? Argentina, Mexico. We have seen this matchup play out over the years, whether it's at, at the World Cup level or the youth level. Uh, 1930, uh, there was uh, Argentina-Mexico in World Cup, ni- uh, 2006 uh, and 2010. 2006 and 2010 uh, were also in those round of 16s. So this effort of Mexico to get to that Quinto Partido uh, is ongoing. And it is just, there is a blockage there. <laughs> However, in the group stage, Argentina versus Mexico, um, I'm salivating because this Mexico team, I think it's going to go in with very low expectations from the Mexican fan base. And rightfully so, because they they have struggled. But it would not surprise me in the least if they rise to the occasion in the World Cup and obviously a game against uh, against Argentina. And there's this strange psychological thing between these two teams in that even though they might be looked at as different sides of the spectrum in terms of how good they are, I don't think that they, between each other, see themselves as that different, and certainly from a Mexican perspective, even though everything says that Argentina should win this game.
3: It, it does, and I, I've i been incredibly impressed with Argentina. We're going to talk about some of this stuff later in the show, but I, I think that this is a World Cup that Argentina are going in and thinking, we've got a real chance to win. Mexico's dilemma, as always, is the quinto partido, but I, there's so many questions about this team right now, about Tata Martino. I mean, a couple months ago, we were even debating whether Tata Martino will make it yep. to the World Cup. This becomes their big pressure match. I mean, they're going to have Poland in their first. Argentina, you expect, will steamroll Saudi Arabia. So then it sets up a game where Mexico are going to have to show up and, and really play depending on that first result against Poland. And I, yeah, I, I, I keep going and forth. We always expect that Mexico, they have the talent that we see on a consistent basis in CONCACAF. And then when they get to the World Cup, they're a team that's difficult to play against. They have Chucky Lozano, Jimenez, like guys that play at big clubs but I'm not seeing it this year with this team. I I think that this is one that they could really flame out and the way that it's going for them at youth level, at Olympic level, and then at the national team level right now. I don't think they're going to get out of this group. I I think this is going to be
2: Argentina and Poland.
4: Okay, all right.
2: Which, by the way, that could have been the game to Argentina-Poland, Messi versus Lewandowski. He went with Mexico, which is fine. When you talk about the World Cup history between these two, uh, that Maxi Rodriguez goal in 2006, one of the great goals in World Cup history. And you mentioned Tata Martino. There is that extra layer to it. Argentinian manager. He coached Argentina. He was the coach when they lost that centenario final to Chile. Messi retired right afterwards. Right about now, Tata's hoping Messi had stuck to that retirement, but he didn't. (laughs) So he's going to have to face him uh, come November.
1: All right, let's uh, go to another game. This is in Group E. Uh, Spain versus, I'm oh, sorry, Group D. France versus Denmark. November 26th at the uh, 974 Stadium. That stadium that's made out of all of the uh, shipping containers. Yeah. It's amazing, the, the stadium. We do a whole show on that. That will be on FS1. Um, let's see here. Both of them uh, looking uh, uh, in 2000.
3: Don't make me relive the game that they played in the World Cup in 2018. Yeah, that's exactly what it says here. It was a 0-0 exactly tie. Both yep. teams were through in that group, and they just decided to... Just kick the ball around. T- it's not as bad as <laughs> uh, an egregious right. as we've seen uh, right. previously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, neither team was pushing the tempo. This will be a little bit different, I would expect. Denmark, what a terrific Euros that they had. Uh, France coming in with expectations once again after they went out and penalties yep. in the Euros, and you know, Karim Benzema is going to be playing for them this time around, so I've got them in my contenders. I I think that's gonna be a really,
2: really fun game. A couple notes here. Last three defending champions have gone out in the group stage, so I'm gonna have an extra eye on France. Uh, For me, the common denominator there um, is that uh, these defending champions, the managers have stayed loyal to the players that Mm -hmm. won them the previous World Cup when there were perhaps better options, There's all sorts of potential examples of that with France. Is it going to be on Kunku or Griezmann in the midfield? If Pogba's fit, he might miss the World Cup, so it might be a moot point. But if it's Pogba... And Encante and Golacante or Chuameni and Kamavinga at the back, Varan, or guys like Koundé and Konate. So there's all sorts of interesting uh, which, examples. By the of way, it, when we talking
3: about champagne problems, you're talking about Chuameni who French? went to oh Real Madrid for 80 million. And it, you're right, though. It is that like the changing of the guard, and do they do that? They didn't look great in the last Nations League window.
2: Second point on this: the France group is crisscross with the Argentina group. So if we all think Argentina is gonna win that group, if France were to stumble in this game against Denmark, it's quite possible they could finish second and we and could have France-Argentina Argentina in the round of 16, yeah. which was the arguably the best game of the 2018 mm-hmm. tournament, 4-3, France won it, Mbappe put on a show, so.
1: All right, uh, now we go to Group E, excuse me. Uh, Spain versus Germany, November 27th at the Albeit uh, Stadium. That will be on FS1. Uh, Spain kicked the crap out of Germany. Uh, 6 nothing at the uh, Nations League in 2020. So there is certainly some revenge. Although this German team right now, I think, is on a lot of people's radar. I mean, like it's Germany, uh, which isn't necessarily a surprise. But, you know, the, the downward trend that they have had and now the upward twen- trend that they have, uh, this looks like to be, you know, one of the games possibly of the group stage.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, basically every game we've selected, I think, so far ends up being the game that decides the group between the two best teams. and. For this one between Spain and Germany, I, I think what it does is that the loser of this game, and we're talking about like how it's going to stack up, because I think we expect both of these teams to advance from the group, is that you would face Brazil potentially in the quarterfinals. And you know that that game becomes a very difficult one when you're thinking about teams that you want to make a deep run. So if you can avoid them as Spain or Germany can... I, you know, I love Hansi Flick as a, as a coach, what he's been able to do at at Bayern Munich when he was assistant with the German national team and now leaving, leading this team, he's been able to kind of change that, uh, the, the older generation of players mix it with the new, get this German team reinvigorated after Yogi Love had been there. What? Uh, eight years, is it 10 years? I mean, he had been there.
2: longer than that. (laughs) Yeah,
3: (laughs) Longer than that. And they needed this Germany felt stale. They lost to England in the euros and i do think that this could be a tournament if they win the group if they beat spain in this one that they could they could cause some noise in this tournament uh
2: by the way that's 6-0 in the nations league Ferran torres scored a hat trick in that game i think those might be his last goals for club and country because <laughs> <laughs> his career kind of went into the tank after that but no on spain um i still love their midfield i feel like pedri and gavi are like the second coming of xavi and iniesta uh but Ooh, i don't wow. i don't love them in both boxes. I don't think the center backs are that great. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the strikers are that great when you're relying on guys like Alvaro Morata and Ferran Torres. So I think that might be their undoing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I do think they get out of the group. This is the only group stage game between two uh, past World Cup winners. So yeah, I think it's the best game of the entire group stage.
1: All right. Uh, And then the last of the five games that I have, Group H, Portugal versus Uruguay, November 28th in the Lucille Stadium on Fox, Big Fox again another rematch from 2018 where these two met in the round of 16 Uruguay winning 2 to 1 with a brace from Cavani. In Sochi, I, I did mean, that game. I right? remember
3: it. And Portugal, you know, they similar type of thing, right? I mean, I'm, I'm curious what your expectations are for them this World Cup. That that game feels like one that I could see them although Uruguay is the same. I'm it's I'm not same. sure what it's to both expect. both of from these them.
1: guys kind of now look, they're wonderful history when it comes to both of these uh, countries in terms of the the talent that they have, but it's always kind of Doing more with less, and therefore punching above their weight. And I know Portugal has plenty of talent, uh, but certainly when it comes to when it comes to Uruguay here, uh, there's plenty of old guys out there that are going to be running around with uh, with with both teams on both sides. Last go around, and certainly you never put it past him. But whether, whether we're talking about Messi or uh, Cristiano Ronaldo right now a lot of the narrative is going to be around is this the final time that we see them in the in the world cup and you never know you never know what 4 years is a long time in a in a career and for a, and for a cycle but this type of classic traditional historic type of matchup between these two teams uh this this is something that I'm really looking forward to
2: we're going to talk Portugal later on, yep. so let me focus on Uruguay now. Um, <laughs> it, it was trending towards them missing this World Cup. Yeah. And then late in qualifying, they made a coaching change. Oscar Tabarez, who was kind of the yogi love of South America, a guy that great career but overstayed his welcome, they got rid of him. They brought in Diego Alonso, former Inter-Miami, Inter-Miami manager, coach, yeah. and he did a terrific job. He's reinvigorated them, and I'm high on this Uruguay team. I think they have a nice blend of youth and experience. Yes, you still have Suarez and Cavani, but you also have a Darwin Nunez, a Federico so Balverde, for them, Bentancur, Araujo in the back. So there's some, it's a tough call. Uh, it's not going to be Suarez and Cavani together. No. They've more or less ditched yeah. that. It's probably going to be one of those two and Nunez. And Nunez, yeah. yeah.
3: And no, I, I agree. I'm, I think that's a blockbuster match, though, once again, and, Clash of the Titans. I remember that Sochi match where they played in the knockout stage and Uruguay won that they just kicked lumps out of each other, those two teams. Cavani scored this world-class goal. and uh, th- th- That's where you have the guys at both ends of the field that can make a difference and they have the stars. We'll see who turns up most on the day.
1: All right, quick, because uh, I didn't ask any of you guys. Belgium, Canada, who wins? Belgium. Belgium. Belgium, Canada. I got Belgium too. England, US. Thai. England. US. I have US uh argentino mexico argentina argentina thai mexico gets a point there uh france denmark france thai france uh spain germany germany thai
3: germany oh god he's shaking his head on i that. got
1: germany <laughs> over spain uh and portugal uruguay
2: portugal uh uruguay Portugal. I should have gone with a tie because I was All hesitating, right. but yeah, right. I'm gonna go with Portugal.
1: Anyway, listen. As we said, these are just five games, but there are lots of games that will have you salivating uh, every single day. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun, but definitely if you're gonna mark some, mark these uh, on their on the calendar for many of the reasons that we have, and probably many of the reasons that uh, that you have out there. All right, well, we're going to transition into uh, a U.S. national team-specific type of talk here and, and look at kind of the roster construction and uh, potential starting 11s going forward. And there's a lot of debate and talk, and that is a good thing. We talked about champagne problems for Greg Berhalter. He's got a lot of decisions to uh, to make here as to who is going to play and who's going to be on that plane to Qatar. And keep in mind, again, this is the first World Cup where there will be 26 player rosters. And so that gives him a little bit more cushion, but it also provides us more content because we get to discuss and debate as to who is ultimately going to be on that plane. And then when they get to Doha, who is actually going to be on the field for those games, like against Wales, like against England, uh, and like uh, against, who's the other one they're playing? Iran. Iran. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's start off as, as we always do in terms of goal right now. Correct me if I'm wrong. And if you disagree, let me know. I would look that uh, Matt Turner and Zach Steffen are definitely on the airplane right now to uh, to Qatar. We'll, we'll talk about if they're starting or not, but definitely in the uh, in the roster. Uh, the questions would be, which one, because I think they're taking three goalkeepers, unless something crazy happens, but I'm assuming they're taking three goalkeepers. One of Sean Johnson, Ethan Horvath, or maybe long shot of long shots, uh, Slone. I
3: think Sean Johnson.
1: You think Sean Johnson's the yeah, third?
3: because I think he's going to be the most in-form of those goalkeepers. He'll probably make the deepest run in the playoffs with New York City FC. Ethan Horvath's gone out on loan. Zach Steffen's gone out on loan. Matt Turner's probably going to be the only goalies of those keepers that won't play at all heading into the World Cup. If he stays at Arsenal as the backup, maybe he'll play a couple of cup games. But for the third there, I I think you're going to go with with Sean Johnson. Unless Ethan Horvath on loan just lights
1: it up and has a great year. So if you're playing and, quote, in-form, it matters yeah. if if you're doing it in MLS, but it doesn't matter if you're doing it over in Europe, because Matt Turner's not playing, all right. And early days, but Zach Steffen's not in form.
3: But but I think when you're talking about third goalkeepers, the the, the part of the okay. equation is personality. Do you fit into yeah. the group? Are you? I agree with you. By the way, I and, think it's going to be Sean yeah, Johnson. Yeah, and are you playing? You think Sean Johnson too? Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah. Agree? Disagree? I agree, with Sean Johnson. Okay, all right. Sean uh, John, you're in. There we go. All right, you, well, you at least you're on our plane. Um, but okay. bigger question we'll get to later is who started. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, defenders. And I, I think these players are on the plane. Sergio Dest, Jedi Robinson. I'm calling him Jedi now. It's just easier. Uh, <laughs> Walker Zimmerman, DeAndre Yedlin, and Aaron Long. Um, so th- but then you have a whole host of other players, right? John Brooks, which is a podcast in and of itself. Uh, Chris Richards, Cameron Carter Vickers, Scali, uh, Eric Palmer Brown, Bello, Cannon, James Sands. So of those, who do you th- Well, first off, do you agree that Dest, Robinson, Yedlin, Zimmerman, and Long are on the plane?
3: So I'm going to go from right to left okay. here. Right back, I think, if you have Dest, who can play right and left. Yep. And then you have DeAndre Yedlin. I'd be comfortable taking two right backs there. Uh, center back used to be, I think, a couple of years ago, probably our, one of our deepest positions when you thought about how... Zimmerman, Long, Miazga, John Brooks, Tim Ream. I mean, Tim Ream's got a shout. He's yeah. playing for Fulham. Yeah. He had a good game against Liverpool. The other day, he's been out of the mix for about uh, six to eight months now, ever since the one camp that he, he didn't come into for the qualifiers. I think he's a sneaky, maybe could, could get in there over well, why is, John Brooks. Why?
1: I mean, he's not a different player than he was. So it's not like Greg Berhalter is seeing something that he's never seen before. Well,
3: what Greg has done the last two windows. So why does he then, like him
1: now as opposed to... Well, he
3: liked Tim Ream before, but then I think guys jumped above him. Like Walker Zimmerman came in September of was last year uh, and has been lights out, played almost every game since that point. But then Aaron Long was with the injury. I don't think he's been the same. I don't think he's a lock okay. to, to be in there. I think Chris Richards is a lock.
1: I do too. Yeah, And I, I, I think, think if so he too.
3: plays at Palace even just a little bit, I think he is going to find his and way to Greg starting likes. lineup. Yeah, yeah, Greg likes him too. So, and then left back. I mean, we've been searching for left backs forever. Anthony Robinson is the guy. I don't know if there's anybody else. George Bellows had a you know a terrible time uh, over in Germany, and I don't see anybody else that that works their way in there. Maybe Scally has a great year with Munch and Gladbach and is in that mix. But yeah, the, the guys that you mentioned there, I think I don't see anybody else unless you do, Massey, but.
2: Well, this is the first position where roster construction comes into play. When it was 23, it would be a starter and backup at every position, with yeah. three goalkeepers. Now at 26, you get three extra spots. So if he's unsure, does he take, I don't know, two backup left backs, figuring that out of one of them will be in good form? I don't know. So Or a guy like James Sands who's versatile that's can a, play good one. center back and play as a holding midfielder. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how the roster construction goes back
3: there. I think you're going to see the last three at each position defender midfield forward being guys that are versatile that can play or they bring stuff off the field right like they, they're the kind of the glue within the team that can still play a role maybe but might not play at all but a, a guy like sands does maybe check that box if greg wants to play with a back three that you know sands can play in the middle and also play as a center midfielder
1: but mm. even with a, a roster of 26 you still have to go i think if you're the coach of a national team going to a world cup you still have to go in with the mindset that at some point I am going to not just need to use everybody, but I'm going to want to... I mean, keep in mind, in in 2002, uh, Bruce Arena, the most successful World Cup campaign in U.S. men's soccer history, uh, and certainly in in recent uh, memory, he he, he used almost the entire squad, okay? I think he maybe didn't use one player, but for the most part, and I'm not including third-string goalkeepers or even second-string goalkeepers then, but field players when we're talking about it here. So I think... There's. I don't think there's anybody that's just along for the ride. I don't think we're gonna do a, a Brazil thing where we take a really really young player just to blood him for 2026. 20, I mean the team already is young, so you're blooding everybody uh, anyway. All right. So, so I mean the question would be: you, Do you think Brooks is on the plane?
3: Maybe, but it, it really depends on. I, I do think, and Greg has said this publicly, said it here on your guys' podcast that it depends on where he goes, how he plays in the fall. And that will decide whether he can work his way. And I think he's talented enough. I think his experience would be great. He's actually played a lot of games. I know there's a, a, a preconceived notion about him, about his injury history. But he's played a lot of games of the last six, seven years at a very high level. He didn't become a bad player overnight. It's just that Greg has shifted the way he wants this team to play and press. But think, we're not going to play high, high press versus England. We're going to be sitting back, probably defending some crosses at times, maybe playing Counterattack. So you so. can't
1: become a bad player overnight, but you can become a good player overnight if you're Tim Rehm?
3: I didn't say Tim became good overnight. Tim is what he is. But it's then just but, whether but Greg decides if he is what he Tim's is, profile is in. Uh, is but he's what had he wants years to mix. decide that, and he's already but kind he's of been made in that a decision. Mix for Greg already. Right,
1: exactly. But he hasn't been in the big in the mix so, n- lately. So, so why Greg's, now should you bring him? You,
3: I bet you were going to see him in the September friendlies. Okay, watch
1: why. Because he's because he's be- become a good player.
3: Because he's uh, consistent. He's dependable. But he's always been that. Then. Yeah, but he, that's not what you needed at the last two games or so of uh, of the World Cup cycle. All right. Okay. All right. Managers the experience do tend to the do younger that. players.
2: They, they test out some other players they think might have a higher ceiling, but if they don't pan out, they circle back to a dependable veteran at the end. So I, I think to Stu's logic, I, I think the four center backs will be Long, Zimmerman, Richards, and Carter Vickers, and then uh, Dest and Yedlin on the right. Robinson and somebody else on the lab. I'm really unsure about that backup left back spot, and it sounds like Greg Berhalter is yeah, as well.
1: We don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't have one of those. All right, let's uh, shift to the midfield here. Uh, locks for me: McKinney, Adams, Musa. I mean, I think, I think not only locks to be on the plane, but they're locks to start. Knock on wood that they are all healthy. Uh, I think Kellen Acosta, um, obviously Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson, Tim Weah. Gio Reyna, I mean, it's a lock, but we don't even know if he's hurt, but I'm going to put him in as a lock there. And then I think Luca Della Torre has played his way onto the plane. Uh, so then you get into the Paul Areolas, Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, Gianluca Busio, Jordi Mihaljevic, if you want to get, go, go down there. Uh, anybody there that you think isn't a lock that I uh, said there or you think should be? I,
3: I would say West, um, Luca Della Torre, only because I'm, I'm curious to see how he does at Celta Vigo. He made a move there from from Hollands. I don't know how much he's going to play for, for Celta Vigo and at what level, but if he's getting minutes, the he pr- has a different profile to anybody else in that midfield. He's a ball-playing guy. I think he becomes important late in games. I don't see him as a starter in any ways. I think we all would probably agree on the midfield starters or he, who could even start, but he's a guy for 30 minutes if you're up one or two nil um, or you're chasing the game a little bit, they can play incisive passes. He's shown that he contribute. I don't know if he's a lock, but I think he gets on the plane. The one that I would say is a lock, I think, is Paul Arriola. What a year he's having for FC Dallas. He's been excellent for Greg Burhalter. He's been one of his most dependable players over this last cycle. So I, I think he's a lock on the plane of the names that you mentioned. I think there.
1: Roldan is a lock, too. Really? I think, he's, I think Greg looks at him as this guy is not only – it's not just that you don't cause problems. It's not just he's a nice guy to have around. I think Greg Greg sees real value in still a very young team for a guy that's going to work his ass off if you need him to go on the field. And like I said, you have to go with the mindset that he's not going to hurt you on the field. Is he a world beater? No. But also the leadership that he brings, the personality, the energy that he brings, I think Greg really values that in him particular.
3: Well, speaking of Seattle, where where do you sit on Jordan Morris then? Because he, you know, two years ago, you would have said he's a lock for sure, right? But coming off the two ACLs I do think he gets in there
2: I've seen enough from him this season and by the way I agree with you with Roldan I was going to make the exact same point I think he gets one of those three extra spots because of his versatility set pieces good guy in the dressing room Uh, I also think Sands I agree with Stu he gets one of those extra spots Uh, one thing to note in the midfield is in the interview we did with us Burhalter intimated it's going to be more of a 4-2-3-1 with Musa sitting alongside Adams and then more of like a Advanced like mm. ten type, so I think that's where Aronson slots in. People keep trying to figure out a place for him as like one of the two wingers up top, but I I, I don't know. But so now, t- but,
1: but then now you're taking out somebody in the three. Then so who's? No, said, he's just rotating the three. The triangles flipping a little okay. bit. You got you had Aronson at the top of the three, in the middle.
2: Oh, so you're taking McKinney then, or yeah. I think I think he, he probably out. views McKinney and Aaronson as being those. The, that position. So I'm just I, I gonna play okay. Aronson on we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll the.
1: We'll get to our starting eleven yeah. here uh, in a second. <laughs> but all right, uh, all right. Uh, so that's uh, so that was the midfielders. anybody else? Uh, anything else to say about midfield? Nope. Okay. No, They're not for now, unless Whatever. somebody blows
3: us away these next couple. Just of months. Just keep
1: running. All right. Let me take a deep breath here. Strikers.
3: <laughs> Wait, why, why is the, the page empty? <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh,
1: we have one. <laughs> I mean, the only guy that I think is a lock, and look, I, I think he's done a really really good job and obviously plays the position very, very different, is Jesus Ferreira. And I do think that nothing is going to change between now and then, and that Jesus Ferreira, for better or worse, and there's a lot of people that feel that it's worse, um, is going to be the starting, quote-unquote, nine. But it's going to be a very falsish type of nine, which isn't, which isn't horrible if it's played correctly, but a lot has to go great. And if I had my way, I would like to have much more of a traditional type of player up there. And I think Greg Berhalter would. We all would. And when we asked Greg Berhalter the other day about why we haven't produced somebody like that, he said, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, and he was very, very open and honest and clear about that. So I think that Jesus Ferreira is on the plane. And then we go through this list and we've gone through it time and time again. PFOC, DK, uh, you know, uh, Vasquez now is coming into play here. And we'll, we can talk more about that. Josh Sargent, uh, Pepe. And we've gone through these these cycles where we've all gotten excited about it and it hasn't quite panned out in the way that we wanted. But you can't just go with Jesus Ferreira. You've got to have at least some people that in in entitle our strikers for your national team, I think. Yeah. So
3: Daryl DK just came out that he's picked yeah. up a, another thigh injury. I, I think you can scratch his name off yeah. the list. He Unfortunately, this so this September so unfortunate. I mean Unfortunately, he's going to miss September, October, unless he's scoring 20 goals for West Brom in two months. He, he's out, which is a bummer because, you know, he was hot for a little bit, but I, I don't think he has that next level. Vasquez is interesting to me because he fits a lot of that traditional nine. So does Jordan Pifak. But I think that Vasquez's play with his running off the ball back to goal very interesting p fox a guy I think that gets in there and Pepe man I mean th- this was a guy that blew onto the scene was scoring goals left and right and qualifying red hot full of confidence hasn't scored a goal since September of last year which is crazy he's almost gone a full calendar year without scoring a goal at the the, the professional level for a striker that's not good enough I don't care how good he was six seven months ago it doesn't matter at this point so he's got to really work hard to get into a the lineup, and ultimately, it's going to come down to who's playing well, who's scoring goals, and you know we this will be a whole podcast in itself. But the, the the decision by players to be in Europe, where we know that the leagues are better, when you think about the Premier League and the Bundesliga and La Liga. But a guy like Vasquez is potentially going to score twenty plus goals in MLS this year and get himself onto the plane because he's scoring, albeit at a lower level, but he's scoring goals, and you have to take a guy that is scoring goals. Ultimately, at the striker position, that's what it's going to come down to. You have your known quantity in Ferreira. You're going to have a big physical guy profile. That's Falker, Vasquez, and then it's going to be who's who's the hottest at the moment.
2: Yeah, the way DK and Pepe have fallen off has been incredible. I remember a friendly the US played against Northern Ireland, and DK was really impressive. And in the post game, Rob Stone was yelling, "This is the guy! We found the guy! <laughs> yeah, this is the same guy!" In the
3: gold cup when he was scoring well, goals. Yeah, right? yeah. We're desperate. And, um,
2: yeah, but on. the the the. Stu, you hit at the key point. The PFOC Vasquez thing on Twitter has really turned into one of those Europe versus MLS deals where there's a type of US fan, you know, that can't conceive that a guy that's scoring goals in the Bundesliga isn't going to be taken over a guy that's scoring goals in MLS. And so, you know, I, I think, by the way, there might be room for both of them. I think yeah. that other extra player, I mentioned Santos and Rodan, it might be Ferreira and two other center forwards and just give yourself as many options as possible once you're already in Qatar. Because,
3: because you're thinking the, the system and the way that Greg wants to play with the one striker. Really, it's like a break in case of emergency type situation with one of those strikers. If you're down late and you're like, who can we throw on that's going to cause havoc here and chaos and we're lumping the ball in the box and set pieces is dangerous. That's why you need a guy like Pifak, like uh, Vasquez, who could also start a game you'd be comfortable with. But, you know, you're going to go into that tournament probably as it stands today. With
1: Ferreira as you're starting
3: forward. Yeah. And we do And don't, it, 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 we're not jumping for joy at that point. Right. Hard.
1: And we don't have that that plan B and we don't have that different look. And that's why the DK injury and the lack of progress and evolution of him hurts so much because he provides something that nobody else, even in this group right now, can do. And so that's a that's a big loss. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna give you my starting eleven position oh, by position I love here, this. okay I love this you agree or disagree and apply. if you disagree then you have to put somebody else in there, I don't okay? think we who it should be or
2: who it will be
1: uh this is wow ah, that's a good question it's a good this is who I would play okay okay um and I if if I feel that 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 Greg, oh, I think Greg is going to play Jesus Ferreira in that striker position I don't think anything is going to change and I think he's going to play Jesus Pereira but okay. anyway let's start in the goalkeeper uh, I have Matt Turner Agree, disagree, and if you disagree, who who would you play? I agree. I, I would play Matt Turner.
3: I, I if you saw Zach Steffen, by the way, his debut <laughs> against uh, for Middlesbrough the other day was not great, and I just I haven't been conv- and I, I'm not going off of one game, but I've just not been convinced by him over the past year year and a half since his Man City move. Quite frankly, not playing regularly has really stunted I feel his growth and his confidence. So let's see. So what it's happens. not really but-
1: playing regularly then. It's playing regularly and playing well. But I think,
3: yeah, of course. Yeah, playing well. I mean, playing all the time and being a terrible well, goalkeeper. The reason why, Matt, reason why but, Matt Turner didn't
1: screw up this weekend cause is because he, he was play. on the freaking bench. Well,
3: I was going to say earlier when we were talking about positions, maybe the, the smartest strategy by Turner was saying, hey, these other guys are not playing well. I'm just going to not play, and I'll start in November.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think Turner is the much better goalkeeper. I'm not a Steffen fan. I predicted England to beat the U.S. earlier. It's because I think Steffen will start, and he'll probably commit a howler in that game. Mm. Um, so I would absolutely <laughs> wow. play it, not Turner. I, th- I do All think
3: right. uh, Turner's a better shot stopper. Okay. And, and ultimately, that's what I want. I, I don't need a guy who's going to play best 30-yard diagonal. Just
1: save the ball. All right, I'm assuming back four, right back, Dest, agree, agree? Yep. Okay. Center back pairing. Um, I'm going to go with Zimmerman. And I'm going to go with Aaron Long. Agree, or disagree. Massey, you go first this time.
2: Um, yeah, I think there's a chance for Richards to beat out Long, but I am worried about his lack of playing time the next few months for Palace, so that could undermine that. So I, it's a soft agree. Okay. I, uh,
3: it's, you know. it's a hard disagree for me. I, I think Chris Richards needs to be in there, and I think it's Walker Zimmerman. For now. So
1: it's Chris Richards and Chris Richards
3: and Walker Zimmerman. I I would be comfortable with that. I think you have the experience and the the leadership of Walker Zimmerman, both great in the air. I think that Chris Richards is a good athlete. He has speed. He can defend in a high line. I I just think that Long and Zimmerman are too similar. And I, I like that Richards also, when he was on loan at Hoffenheim last year, played as a left center back can pass with his left foot and his right
2: foot. Can so. I change my vote? Let's do one meal. Okay. There, yeah. there. Zimmerman and Richards. There we Zimmerman go. Richards. I like. Okay, it. Thanks, it. It.
1: Thanks, I thanks, Must. I guess I should have done this from the beginning. Do you think that Greg Berhalter is going to start Matt Turner in goal? Who, who, who do you think Greg Berhalter is starting in, in goal?
3: I, I think he wants to start Stefan.
1: Who is he going to start? Did I, think I start, he'll start
4: Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is going to start in goal? It's
3: uh oh, Stefan. The hardest Stephan. positions in this team are center back. I think he's gonna start goalkeeper
1: too. and all right? forward. And I think we're in agreement that he's gonna start Dest at the right. I think he's gonna start. Do you agree that he's gonna start uh Walker Zimmerman as one of the center backs? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Do yes. You think he's gonna start Richards? Yes. I do too. Even though I I would start Adams, I think he's gonna start Richards. I think we all agree that Jedi should be on the left back and wrap him in bubble wrap until then because we have nobody else. (laughs) May the force be with him. right? And um, uh, that Greg would start him. Uh, All right, so we've done the back four. Uh, The three, nothing changes for me in the three that are going to be in the the middle there. Yep, MMA, right? Uh, And I don't think that Greg starts anybody different. OK, and look, I know you can get all crazy and say, oh, it depends on the situation, who you're playing. No. All right. Just play the game the way that's meant to be played here.
3: OK, Yunus uh, Musa will be the breakout star of this World Cup for yeah, the you're a big fan. I'm a music. huge Musa fan. Like, I think he's the best potential to be the best player on the team. Not the most skillful, not the mo- like a guy that I just think is unworldly different, like he's, his ability to get out of tight spaces, his balance, his power, his strength, his passing. If he can add just that, the goal and arriving in the box like McKinney, he, he's going to be the breakout star for the Remember, U.S. Remember
2: after that El Salvador Nations League game in the slop, you, yeah, you came on in, running into the control room. You're like, yeah, on You're on like, yeah if Musa adds goals to his game, he's a 60 million yeah, uh, player. 100%. Yeah,
1: 100%. Even if he doesn't, I mean, that acceleration to break free and split lines with the ball on the dribble is, uh, is Valencia phenomenal. is
3: a good club and a big club in Spain but I think he should be at a top four yeah. club in one of the top three divisions hands down
1: all right and I don't think Greg's gonna do anything different in the in that three no. uh, if everybody's healthy uh obviously all right so now we get to the top three here or the, the the front three here I think everybody agrees on the left-hand side Christian Pulisic is going to start knock on wood he stays healthy and I think that's what Greg's gonna do yes 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 um, here's where I would differ, and I, nothing has changed from a couple months ago when I gave you my, my starting eleven. In that I have to find a way to get Brendan Aronson in my starting eleven, and I might be shoehorning it. I might be, you know, putting a round peg in a square, uh, you know, a square hole. Um, but I have to find a way. And so what I did was I put Wea in much more of a false nine's position and put Brendan Aronson. So those three they can kind of go anywhere. And I know that's not ideal. And I know it's being a little disrespectful to Jesus Ferreira, but that's what I want to do. The interesting question is, if you asked me, if Jesus Ferreira has to start, then who is that final position over there? I'm going to ask you, if Jesus
3: Ferreira has to start, who plays on the right side?
1: I, As much as I love Wea, I still have to find a way to get Brendan Aronson on the field. And I, I, I feel in the back of my mind, it's the wrong thing to do and I'm forcing it, but I... I still have to do it, and it it hurts me to the core to take Way out because I think he's been our most productive winger, mm-hmm. a, a pure winger with speed, taking players on. Christian does it a little differently on the on the other side, but it hurts me. And I'm going to go back and forth. I guarantee before the World Cup, going back and forth. They asked me today, that's what I would do. So get our get our best play, yeah. get all of our best players on the field.
3: I think you'll see a combination of both. I think you'd maybe see. Aronson start the second game against England and the first game against Wales, Tim Wea Cause Greg will want some speed. That that's what I think he has the most flexibility in the wide positions. Christian could also play as a false nine. We've yep. seen him do it for Chelsea. So he could play through the middle and you could play Aronson on, Aronson the, left on the left and way yep. on, on the right. Um, I don't love the idea of Wea as the nine, because I think so much in the way that the U S build, the nine has to drop deep. He's not a great back to goal yep. guy. He's a guy that likes to face you up, take you off the dribble and put crosses in the box or even get on the end of crosses. So if I had to drop one and I was asked to pick my starting 11 on the first game, I would pick Brendan Aronson. And to your favorite question to me all the time, can you become a good player overnight? Has your perception of Brendan Aronson changed at all after seeing him play for the first time in the Premier League? Because I think to some people, and maybe even Greg, you needed to see him at a higher level to see if he could still do the same things that made him effective and you saw that against a very good Wolves team and I thought he was man of the match for Leeds and it gives me absolute full confidence that I could start him on that right hand side against England and he yeah. would have a great game.
1: I didn't need to see him star no. in the APL um, and that he did it is no surprise <laughs> to me. I think he relishes and you know squeezes the life and the juice <laughs> out of every opportunity that he gets. and And the energy is all fine and well, mm-hmm. okay? But we've all played with players that just run themselves ragged. I think as he's getting better and better, he's starting to direct some of that energy. And so there's not wasted movement yeah. uh, with what he is doing. But part of his game, and in playing for Jesse Marsh, uh, you know, and what he does is force the issue. And so I'm excited about that. I want that progressive uh, attack pressure type of mm-hmm. play. I don't want to sit back. I don't want to invite pressure anymore uh, from a U.S.
3: uh, Just a quick story. Bob Bradley had a meeting with me when I first got to the national team. We had the beep test before the start of the January camp. I won the beep test. I ran longer and harder than anybody else. Yay. Good for me. I was celebrating. And Bob pulled me aside before practice started and he said, okay, I know you can run. I know you can run a long time, but you need to learn how to not run harder and further, but run smarter than everybody because you have the physical capacity. And I see that with Brendan Aronson, to your point, and it made me really think like, do I need to run crazy at all times just to show coaches that I'm running as opposed to can I conserve energy late in games and then still execute at a high level when maybe other people are tired? So I I think he's figuring that out.
2: The only thing for me here, I did ask Greg in our interview about playing without a center forward, and he seemed to dismiss that notion, mm-hmm. which I, I get where he's coming from. He's worried about that lack of penalty box presence. There is something to be said, even if the guy's in that grade, of having somebody occupying the center backs, making penetrating runs into the box. So I know we all want to get the best players on the field who so are playing around with these lineups that don't include a center forward, but I, I don't expect to see too much of that from the U.S. Yeah. at the World Cup.
1: But the- you, you expect uh, Jesus Ferreira to start? Yes. That. Okay. And then, so who's on your right-hand side?
2: Uh, I think it's going to it. Uh, what I think Free. Greg will do, Pulisic, Weah, and Ferreira. Uh, so Aronson's I, out for you. Aronson's out for you. Although, if it was my lineup, I would find a way to get him in there.
1: You can't say that. You have to actually say <laughs> where in he In place of Timmy Weah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, anyway. <laughs>
3: Mossy's on a seesaw today, by the way. He's, uh, <laughs> he, can be, he can be swung with some weight on either yeah. side. So.
1: All right. Well, listen. Uh, th- th- this conversation is not over. It's going to continue uh, long into uh, the next couple of months as we get closer. Can we and closer. revisit
3: this after Abs- the September friendlies because it's going to change
1: absolutely and ten and, times. And as you said, these are heady times for U.S. men's national team fans because we are talking about lots of different options. And there was a time where it kind of wrote itself, or they weren't just great options. These are wonderful options. These are great players. There are multiple 11s that you could field and can be completely justified in having. Greg Berhalter also ultimately is going to make the lineup, but each and every time that that lineup comes out from U.S. soccer, there is debate and there will continue to be. All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, oh yeah, I'm going to give you some uh, predictions uh, when it comes to contenders, pretenders, dark horses, disappointments, golden boots, and winners of the World Cup. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. Uh, as I said, we are going to do some pretenders and uh, contenders, some dark horses, some disappointments, uh, golden boots, and winners when it comes to predicting what's going to happen in November, December, in the men's World Cup over there in Qatar. All right, uh, let's start off with contenders, and I had to go back and revise my prediction here because I think what this is trying to say is, yeah, it's easy to say Argentina and Brazil and that kind of stuff, but Give us somebody that not a lot of people would predict would win. Not necessarily because they're not big teams or they haven't done stuff in the past, but for this particular World Cup. And so that's ultimately what I came up with. And so for me, the contender is Portugal. And I think when you say that, there's as many people that say, no, that's not. I will say, yeah, that's good, and, and a lot of it is based on what they what they have done. This Portuguese team, who I've had to listen to my friend over here, David Mossi, talk about a nauseam for the last couple of years, very very excited about this Portuguese team. Maybe not quite ready for prime time, which is why I put them in my contender uh, posi- uh, position here. And we talked earlier in the show about it's a it's a mix of some very old players, some very very good players. Certainly, potentially Cristiano's last World Cup and then a whole new generation of Portuguese players, and I think that's where a lot of your excitement comes from.
2: Yeah, I'm enamored of their talent when you think about not only Ronaldo, but Joan Felix, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Jota, Rafael Leão, even at the back, guys Ruben like João Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, <laughs> yeah. and on and on. But the whole doesn't seem to add up to the sum of the parts right. Um, so I've kind of gotten off them a little bit. Earlier in the cycle, I thought they were gonna be my pick to win this World Cup, but it, it But if they put it together. If they put it together, they're <laughs> capable of winning. Yeah,
1: that, that's why I almost
3: straight off the bat I was gonna poo poo your Portugal and then I started once again rattling through my head of the players and the, the talent that they have is I mean up there. If if you did a value of the squad yep. and from an individual perspective, I think Portugal would probably even be above Argentina and uh, some of the big teams that we're thinking about as contenders for the world cup because i mean <laughs> multiple of these guys have gone 50 60 70 million dollar plus transfers but I, I don't i don't see it the, the way that as again the, the sum the collective uh, fernando santos as a coach talking about maybe being a cycle too long once again that that's kind of what i see I'm, look know. i'm not
1: saying that there has there there doesn't need to be some divine intervention you know mm-hmm. stars aligning soccer gods but, but yeah, yeah exactly they have the pieces Putting up together is a whole nother thing. Uh, who do you have then? For I have Germany. Okay. So
3: I, I guess traditionally a big name, World Cup winners 2014, uh, a team that went out in the group stage in 2018. Rebound. This is a rebound. Yeah, this is the rebound year. And I, I think that they're reinvigorated. I like their coach. I, I said earlier in the podcast, I think that Hansi Flick just has that Carlo Ancelotti type like feel for players, but also very tactically sound. And I, I think that, if the balance of the group is good and you get Gnabry and Leroy Sané and these guys defending and all together, I, I think that this team could could turn it up, man. They they have that ability to crank it.
2: I'm with Stu. Since Hansi Flick took over, it got very stale there in the mm-hmm. end with Yogi Love. But since Hansi Flick took over, they feel like Germany again. I think this Timo Werner moved back to Leipzig will do him a world of good. So, yeah, you mentioned that with Thomas Muller pulling the strings and guys like Sané, Gnabry, Havertz, Kimmich. Werner. Uh, Musiala emerging, Kimmich, Goretzka, Gunnigan, Rüdiger at the back, they are loaded. I think Germany go far. In that.
1: All right, so now we go to Pretender. And uh, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, we all have the same team. And we mentioned it earlier when it comes to Belgium. And this is this is a team that, Is worthy of your attention and has been now for multiple World Cups. I mean, you know, in all of our research and our preparation for previous World Cups. Golden generation, golden generation, golden generation. And look, it it stands out on paper. And to be fair, it has stood out uh, individually and at times collectively from this team. You know, nobody is going to cry for Roberto Martinez uh, in terms of the talent that he has. But Now it's gotten to the point where you have guys into your 30s uh, when it comes to De Bruyne and Hazard and those types of players, and even the Lukaku's getting into, uh, will be uh, 30 coming up here in the next year. It it becomes a weight. It becomes a pressure on this golden generation now to constantly be told, hey, we are expecting more and not being able to deliver it in that big moment. It's not that they haven't had some success, but they haven't had that ultimate success that I think Belgium historically has wanted to have. And anytime we have a golden generation, we have to kind of say, this is where we feel they should be. And when it comes to this Belgium team, it's winning a World Cup.
3: And that's why they're the pretender though, right? I mean, we I looked at the other teams and thought, okay, who else could I fit into that category? The expectations on them, and I think ultimately where they will land, they're the pretender.
2: Agree? Agree. The only thing that makes me nervous Ooh, about this pick, caveat, we, all, we all pick Belgium, is Thibaut Courtois. We've all seen that he's oh, yeah. capable of <laughs> he's carrying be a again. team. <laughs> and we saw it in the Champions League final as a Brazilian. I know full well that he can win a World Cup. You called that game yeah. in Kazan, right? Four years ago. Yeah. Um, so uh, that scares me. But yeah, overall, I, I, I don't love this team. I think even that big three is not as imposing anymore with Hazard, the way his career has fallen off, Lukaku, the issues he had at Chelsea. So yeah, uh, pretender for me.
1: Okay, uh, dark horse, and I think this is a, a trendy type of pick for a dark horse right now, is Denmark. Uh, I have Denmark, I think you have Denmark, Mossy, right? Correct. All right, so I'll let you uh, take it when it comes to, to Denmark. But you know, this is a team that I think, when we talk about balance in soccer, I think that this is a balanced team. Do they have stars? Yes, not at the level of most other big time teams out there. And yet I think that, that fuels them they got a good goalkeeper. They have a a wonderful captain. They have a wonderful story. But um, if there was somebody that I could see making a deep run, it's without a doubt Denmark.
2: Yeah, my dilemma here is they've been so good in the cycle. To what degree are they even still a dark horse? But I think from a historical standpoint, Denmark winning the World Cup would be pretty amazing. So yeah, uh, so I went with Denmark as well. Um, Semi-finalists at the Euros, they blitzed through qualifying. And Christian Eriksen, what a story that that would be after what he went through at the Euros. Um, So, yeah, I've called them the Croatia of this World Cup. I expect them to go far. Remember, uh, the uh, Denmark group is crisscrossed with the Argentina group. So I I talked earlier about the potential for an Argentina. France round of 16, it could also be Denmark-Argentina. So as high as we are on Argentina, that would be a highly losable round of 16 game for them. So it's something to keep in mind. Uh, I went
3: for Netherlands uh, back in the World Cup, changed the coach, Louis van Gaal. Our friend Frank DeBoer was a short stint over there, but this this team is stacked with talent. Again, you think about Memphis Depay, Frank de Jong, Virgil Van Dyke. So they're in that Group A with the hosts Qatar. They've got Ecuador as well, and I think that that group then matches up with the U.S.'s group for the second place yeah. game. So you know, if, if Netherlands win that group, you could see a USA Netherlands in that next round. But it's a team that, you know, I was trying to go non-traditional and think of guys that teams that could make a run. And I think that Louis van Gaal has really been able to find a nice mixture of changing the formation. And they're not the traditional Dutch uh, 4-3-3 that you would expect. And they're, they're really pesky. Difficult team to play against.
2: I thought that was a really good pick by you. I was impressed with them in the Nations League games we just did. Yeah, yeah. that's a good shout.
3: They, they smashed, was it Germany that they beat? Or uh, I, f- I forgot they, they beat somebody 4-1 that was uh, really impressive.
1: All right, well, they impressed Stu. So yeah. he's, he's going with that. All right, disappointment in the World Cup. Team, team that will really piss off their fan base, uh, if you will. <laughs> uh, all right, so this I This is went, my favorite category, uh, I went with disappointment, Canada. And look, I think it's easy for us to say, hey, first time back since 1986, they, they kicked ass in CONCACAF qualifying. everybody. Hold on. how is, can you
3: make Canadians mad?
1: Yeah, that's they're true. Just happy to so be that, there. That is, that is true. Yeah, I mean that's that's a stereotype. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you, Stu? I have seen plenty of ca- Canadians well, I, get pissed off. Hold on, they finished off.
3: first okay. <laughs> in Concacaf, so we can't say that. But big, I'm saying big, like, big. no, but you're, you think they're going to be disappointed being back at the World Cup for the first not, time? in Not disappointed 86? being
1: back in the World Cup, but I think relative to what they did to get there, relative to the ex- expectations that we have, to the talent that we have, to again. In a, whatever the Canadian translation is for Golden Generation, this is the way that they are looking at this team, finally bringing them back to the promised land. But I don't think that they're looking at it as, you know, Panama, just, just happy to be there, and just the national anthem is, a, is enough. That's all we want. No, not at all. And yet, I think, first off, I think they, they got a very tough group, and I think that they are ultimately going to be looked at as whatever we thought they were, they didn't live up to that. And again... They don't have to be World Cup champions, um, but I think they have to do some damage at the World Cup to kind of. So, damage live being up. getting out of the group? Even if, but be in the running, okay? okay? Scoring goals, justifying why so many, including myself, are really interested in this Canadian team. I don't want this to happen, but this is what I think is going to
3: happen. Okay. You're never getting free drinks in Vancouver ever again at the, oh C- my at the Cactus
1: Club. You're out. Come on. The, the Canadians like truth.
2: Uh, can we move on to my pick? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I went with uh, I went with Qatar, the host, and it's interesting. We, we covered them in two different tournaments in twenty twenty one. In at the Gold Cup, I was really impressed. I was talking myself into the, them being a, a dangerous team for this World Cup with uh, Akram Afif and Almoiz Ali, and then we did the Arab Cup later in the year, and the the air went out of the balloon for me because I thought they were really unimpressive in that tournament. And so I've moved. To the thinking that they're going to be like another South Africa 2010. That's the only host nation ever to not advance from the opening round, and I think Qatar is going to become the second one. I don't expect much from the hosts at this World Cup.
3: Um, I'm going to go with England, and you, you nailed it on the head when you said a, a team that's going to piss off their fan base. Yeah, but the expectations for England going into every major tournament are that they're competing for the actual title, and that they all think they can win. Semi-finals in 2018, finals of the Euros that they lost, Southgate still at the helm. Uh, If you saw the last round of Nations- So why is that
1: unrealistic? those expectations-
3: If you saw saw the last round of the Nations League- No, that that should be the expectations for them. They have the talent, but I'm saying that they're going to fall short of that. And so going out even for England in, say, the round of 16 or the quarterfinals, I think they get through the group no problem, but I, I don't see them- going any further than the quarterfinals this tournament. I, I just don't think that the form that they're coming in, the 18 was the rush of these young players, mm-hmm. and they were hungry and motivated, and they caught a red-hot momentum. They got drawn on the, the the easier side of the knockout group that they kind of breezed their way through to the semis. They should have beaten Croatia in that game and been in a final against France. But um, I think they're going to fall short, and they're going to piss off. All their fans and Southgate won't make it past the
1: tournament. Wow! From your lips to the soccer gods' ears, and I hope that team that you're describing right there shows up on that Black Friday against the <laughs> yeah. U- against the U.S. <laughs> From uh, all right, uh, Golden Boot. Uh, despite the uh, the down that we are on uh, Belgium. I still have Romelo Lukaku.
2: Uh, so he's going to bang for it against Canada? I got to say, that was a bit of a head scratcher to put Belgium as a pretender <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then pick Lukaku as the golden boot. Hey, so, sometimes well, Alexi's <laughs> brain works
1: exactly. in different ways. <laughs> Masi, just let him well, what we've seen at times where, I mean, you, you don't think that he can bang in four goals against... Oh, wait, I just said Four's that... he's not
3: going to win the golden boot, well, though.
1: But, but you, you never know. You never know. Uh, you're
3: you change. You no, I'm not you're it, I'm you're going, going to it. change it I'm going to give you a little blast
2: from the past here, from your World Cup, an okay. Oleg Salenko situation okay. where he, you know, scores exactly. a bunch of goals, and yeah, that's before Steve's time. I, I don't think Steve even <laughs> knows that. <laughs> things
1: end, happen. But. All right. So anyway, I got Lukaku. Uh, Obviously, you guys don't agree. Go
3: <laughs> I'm going to go with. I was between Kylian Mbappe and Benzema. I wanted to go with somebody French. I don't think they're going to flame out in the group stage, like previous champions have. I think Benzema coming in makes things a little bit more interesting and fresh for them up front. Mbappe had four goals in 2018, scored in the final. He's four years on from that. This guy is the best player in the world right now. And uh, I think he's going to be the Golden Boot winner. Uh,
2: I went with a bit of a cheeky pick. Uh, Lautaro Martinez. Mm, that is which cheeky. if Which, if you look at the Fox bet odds for Golden Boot, he's like way down there. Really? So I think you get very so, good odds okay, with that. Okay, so
3: stick, stick some money on that one then, right? right. Might get some, uh, some payoff.
2: I don't gamble. Um, <laughs> um, and... Uh, and uh I think as you'll find out in a second, I'm super high on Argentina. And I think Messi's gonna be more of a provider and is gonna be the guy knocking in the goals. So I think he he has a good chance to win the golden Boot. I don't mind that pick.
1: Yeah, I don't either. All right. As you mentioned, I like it a lot better uh, than Lukaku. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. All right, so let's uh let's get down to brass tacks here. Winner of the 2022 World Cup. I have Brazil. Okay. Again, this this is this is a World Cup not being played in Europe. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know it's close to Europe, and there's plenty of Europeans. Um, But this is a unique World Cup. Uh, I have Brazil, yet again, victorious. Um, And the interesting thing is, my Brazilian friend over here has who?
2: Argentina. Oh, my Uh, God. And by the way, it was between those two for me. I think South America wins it. It hasn't won since 2002. Um, So I think they're due. Um, the reason I give Argentina an edge over Brazil, I actually think Brazil has the better squad, one to twenty-six, but for Argentina, the pieces fit more neatly into a starting eleven. I think Scaloni already knows the eleven he's gonna play. It's gonna be that 4-3-3 with Paredes, Los Celso, and Rodrigo de Paul in the midfield, Di Maria, Messi, and Lautaro. While Brazil, we were talking about this over text message. Um, Chichi still has a lot of questions. Uh you know, it's not unlike the U.S. Uh, in that uh, it's been this revolving door at center forward this cycle with Jesus, Firmino, Richarlison, and Mateus Cunha. No one has really grabbed that spot. So now he's toying with playing without a center forward, using Neymar as a false nine. But the couple of games they've played, they've lacked that penalty box presence. So the fact that we're three months out, and I don't think Chichi knows what formation he's going to play, uh, is an issue for me, while Argentina does. So I, I think slight edge Argentina in that regard, which is why I went with them.
3: And I went with Argentina as well. After I think the Copa America really sold it for me. They needed that that moment, right? Lifting that trophy. They haven't lost a game since 2019. Uh, and I love the way that Scaloni, to your point, has fit the pieces in. DePaul, what a great player he is. I love his engine. I think up front, Martinez has taken the reins of that center forward position. And yeah, I mean, we're not. none of us have picked a European team, which was a little strange. I think of of those teams we talked about early in the show, contenders. I think Germany's in there, France is in there. Um, those are the, the two, I think, best of the European teams that I, I think could win it. But I'm going to go with Argentina. I,
1: listen, it, it absolutely can happen. We've talked so much about the balance that this Argentina team mm-hmm. has. I mean, look, Argentina can be a shit show, right? We, we know, all right? And uh, I don't see any of the, the drama, at least from the outside, and I don't anticipate some of the drama and the ridiculousness at times that Argentina can ha- uh, can happen. And by the way, they're doing this all still playing with arguably the greatest player ever to play mm-hmm. in uh, in Messi. And yet it's Yes, it's always going to be focused on Messi, but it's not all about Messi, this Argentina
2: team. Keep in mind, Lionel Scaloni was like a glorified Dave Serekin. At yeah. the start of this cycle, they couldn't find anybody to take that job, so they gave it to him on an interim basis. And then he did well enough that, well, okay, I guess we'll we'll stick with him. And and here we are talking mm-hmm. about them as possibly winning the World Cup. And one of the events.
3: things that got to you during the, the Copa America was that like this is less of a... Flair Argentina, all about the tricks and flicks, and that hey, guess what? You they know what? we defend, got a goal. They're uh, pragmatic we're going sit and back, and you're gonna. That's what they did to Brazil. I I love Romero at counter the back. Yeah, yeah. He's a
2: good goalkeeper now, Miliano yep. Martinez. So yeah, um, which I, Argent- I hate to Argent- say,
3: Argentinians are okay with all of a sudden if they're winning games. And right, that's what matters.
1: All right. Well, evidently, uh, Europe and the rest of the world, other than uh, Brazil and Argentina, at least according to us, are shit out of luck when it comes to winning the <laughs> World Cup. All right, we're gonna take another quick break. When I come back, I will give you my top five US Men's National Team World Cup moments in history. Don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back. Well, with a men's World Cup approaching, we thought we would take a look back in history because, you know, World Cup is an opportunity for some nostalgia and, uh, like I said, some great moments in history. And so what I thought I would do is give you my top five moments in men's national team World Cup history. All right. We're going to start five to one. So this is number five here. And listen, this is mine. Feel free to disagree. <laughs> Whether you guys on set or anybody at home, I feel free to disagree. I love your disclaimers all yeah, the time, know,
3: too. At, Add Alexi Lawless. Whatever
1: so. you know, floats my boat, whatever gets my juices flowing, that's what I put in. Uh, some of you will agree with some of these. Some of you uh, won't. All right, number five. Back in two, uh, 2006, you remember that uh, back in 2006, do, that yeah. World Cup? Uh, we played Italy, the eventual winners of the World Cup. And it, it was a spectacular game. But also had spectacular moments, including Brian McBride's face getting <laughs> smashed and bleeding all over. And obviously, the result is important. You uh, end up getting a tie against, as I said, the eventual winners of the World Cup. Now, this wasn't a great World Cup by any stretch of the imagination when it comes to the U.S. However, this is about this is about moments, and this is about iconic moments. And Brian McBride, who who I love. I mean, my my kingdom for a Brian McBride right now when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. I mean, where is our freaking Brian McBride? Look at this. Bam! Gets it right in the face there, bleeding all over. I mean, that is Braveheart right there. That is Braveheart stuff right there, coming off the field, bleeding for his team and for his (laughs) country. I love it. I love it. I love it. Put it in my veins.
3: Man, I, I love watching these, these throwback highlights. Right, it just it gets me more excited thinking about it. that game was epic though. I mean, you you saw a U.S. team dig in, fight, play against a team that was superior. Clearly, because they ended up winning the World Cup, but held their own for for long stretches of that game and had really close moments of of scoring goals. So it was
1: very it was a,
2: very a beautiful, cool. beautiful. Beautiful. You game. okay with that one? Well, are we gonna go through the whole list and then circle back okay, to potential? Okay, let glad we have Mossy to keep us on track. Sorry, Mossy.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. Number four. Game of their lives. All right. Uh, we talk about it, even though none of us here were there and certainly saw it. One win over England back in the 1950 World Cup. The U.S. had lost their last seven matches by a combined 45 to two in terms of uh, goals and goals against here. So this was, this, this was the anomaly. This was the moment and it couldn't have come at a better time. Now we have footage of the game. We don't have footage of the actual goal in terms of what FIFA sent to us, but we have footage of the shot and then the ball going into the goal because that's ultimately <laughs> what uh, we got. And we do have footage of the great Joe Godgins who scored that goal. and uh, well, It doesn't and matter historic, how it went in the net. It just you know, matters
3: that it did. So. Getting
1: carried off the field. This, this is important because this is, it's not when soccer started, okay? But When we talk about things that happened and World Cup moments here, we we often do it basically from 1990 on. But there is a wonderful and rich and interesting uh, history when it comes to World Cups, when it comes to soccer in America. So I I didn't want to do five moments without at least paying respect and homage to a moment that, as I said, had no impact on me, certainly at the time because I wasn't around. But as I have grown up in this game, I have come to respect and love Joe Gaijin's, and this moment beating, by the way, England, which I'm all for that in <laughs> anything. Men's, women's, co-ed naked, as long as we are beating England, I am good with that, and I will dance. So that's number four.
2: Uh, I do wanna note, uh, we're gonna be unveiling this list of 101 greatest World Cup moments, and I worked on that list, and I put together a pronunciation guide for Jenny Taft, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I did Joe Gachins. Uh so. Hey, Joe. <laughs> so hopefully one of us is wrong on that. We're just going to call him Joe.
1: All right. <laughs> Joe's right. It's not two syllables or something like that. <laughs> it's uh, also
2: nice of you include footage from what TV looked like. Oh, there we
1: off, go. You yeah, had to yeah, take a shot yeah, at my yeah, age. Yeah. I just. That, uh, that I game, by it.
2: the way, was in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. Oh, Be-a-ga.
1: is that how it's yeah, pronounced? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Belo Horizonte. Uh, yeah. sa- exactly. We'll definitely look for that sa- 101 Moments. If you are listening to this on Thursday, it will come out on Friday. We will start with 101 Moments, as you mentioned, voiced by the great Jenny Taft. All sorts of moments. If you have a problem with any of those moments, this is the guy you see right here. All right. So uh, take it up with him. All right. Moving on. Number three. I mean, no show about the World Cup and certainly about the history of the United States in the World Cup is complete without a little denim. Long live denim. Long live faux denim. Long live this moment in U.S. soccer history. The United States two to one over the favored Columbia. The favored, when I say that, uh, Pele, the great Pele had picked Columbia to win the World Cup. And yet, a bunch of scrappy upstarts.
3: Ernie Stewart. Lots of hair,
1: lots of denim, lots of 90s beauty just all over the field, went out there and got the win in the Rose Bowl and for all intents and purposes, advanced out of the group and made history.
2: Uh, Can I ask you a semi-serious question? Sure. Uh, given what, the tragic yep. uh, occurrence afterwards with Andres Escobar, and then the, the Two Escobars documentary came out. Everything we know about what was going on with that Colombia team. Yep. Does that game now give you somewhat conflicted feelings when you? When I you get know? asked
1: about this game more than any game uh, that I ever participated or, or or played in, and I tell everybody that I am able to separate it out because, it, on one hand. It is one of the greatest moments of my life and one of the proudest moments of my life. And obviously, from a success perspective, everything that we had working for it was the culmination of that team and all of those years of hard work. Because like I said, that win against that team in that moment with the flags and the America, it was just incredible, something that I will never forget. I, I can still celebrate that and recognize, and I don't want to speak for my colleagues, that I would give it all back if Andres Escobar was still here. OK, but that that part of the story is always going to be entwined with that game. But in this instance, it is without a doubt, as far as I'm concerned, still a top moment for ultimately in that moment, what it meant and what it has meant uh, for the years, uh, the years to come. And it was an opportunity to get the denim in. So uh, are you good with. The- oh, yeah. Well, I'll, 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 hold on, here we go. All right. So now we're at number two. Go, go, USA. You know what I'm talking about. Back in the 2010 World Cup, the 1-0 win from the U.S., the good guys over Algeria. U.S. needed all three points to move past Slovenia in the group stage, and Landon Donovan answered the prayers of all of us when he scored this goal. From one end to the other, Tim Howard all the way down the field, an incredible fast break, if you will. Tim Howard, you started it all, my friend. And then Landon Donovan finished it off with uh picking up the rebound here and sending us all into ecstasy. And one of the reasons why this resonates so much is keep in mind, from a technology perspective, it was the it was around the first time where everybody was instantaneously able to see what was going on. And the viral videos of the watch parties and people screaming and yelling, it went all over. I mean, poor Joe Gaijens, Joe Gaijens, uh that he didn't moment, have the footage of his it, goal, You know, yeah. he couldn't Snapchat the thing or anything yeah. like that, but in this moment, you saw pure American joy that Landon Donovan was able to give us in that moment. I just Uh had
3: goosebumps, my friend. Yeah? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that brings back all the the memories flooding through. And I was on the bench at that moment of the game, and I saw Tim throw it. And just something felt like you felt it brewing. Also, you sense the the feeling, the urgency. And that's why the celebrations were so crazy, because it was a last-minute winner. We knew we had to win that game to go through. And I saw the play developing. I was halfway down the sideline. <laughs> you knew. Landon's at the corner flag. I headbutted him on a slide. It was team dog pile. I was at the bottom of it. I didn't care. Like, it's still to this day, like, and I wasn't on the field in that moment. It's one of the best moments in soccer I've been a part of. Ugh. And we got back to the hotel. Our team administrator and video guys brought us into a room and said, You guys got to see this. And they pulled up on the big screen, like this, the clip that had been a compilation of all the, the YouTube. clips of watch parties and we all sat there just stunned because you're in a bubble you know during the world cup and you all your focus on is training and games and you're kind of separated from that to see that it really gave you this feeling of man this this thing is a pretty big deal
1: still it still (laughs) it still gets me i love it i love it i love it Uh, all right number one for me uh, the only thing that i like more than beating Mm -hmm. up on england um is beating up on Mexico.
4: Mexico.
1: Uh, the greatest performance at a World Cup from a U.S. men's national team at 2002 World Cup. And it, it not only was the performance, but it was the scoreline, the dos zero, which has become ubiquitous in our sport and in our back and forth. We use it constantly. And when it comes to the most important game ever from a U.S.-Mexico standpoint, this is it. So we can scream and yell about different things and going back and forth. But until we face Mexico again at the World Cup, the pinnacle of the international sport, this will continue to live long. And Dos Ciro will continue to live long. And it warms the cockles of my redheaded American heart every single time I think about it, every single time I see it, whether it's the Brian McBride goal or again, the Landon Donovan goal at that far post. This was epic. And it's still lives every single day, and it informs so many things that we do all these years later.
2: Uh, Does our highlight package include John O'Brien's blatant handball? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but um, I I mean, I I agree. It's a no-brainer. I I have a thought about a potential omission from your list, but I'll let Stu say whatever he wants to say about this. Yeah, well... I personally,
3: to me, my if it was my list, I would have the landing goal at first yep. because that was more personal to me. I actually would have you and 94 higher up uh, and even above US-Mexico because I think to a wider soccer audience, what 94 meant for soccer in this country, what you and your team meant for the US men's national team and kind of putting it on the map, I, I think that that was a huge you know, kind of a, a a landmark, watermark moment, whatever you want to call it, of of like soccer in this country has arrived and it makes me think about 26 and what that is yeah. going to be. So yeah, we can, we can always have some debate.
2: That's some all right, it. that's okay. What do you got? I might've found room on this list for the match the US played after that Mexico game, a loss to Germany. I know that oh. sounds crazy, a game that eliminated so them from animals. the World Cup, but yeah, I thought the US played great that game. They outplayed Germany. Mm -hmm. By the way, it was Greg Berhalter that would have had that goal. I asked him about it. Torsten Frings blocks it with his hand. Hugh Dallas somehow doesn't call it. If you're talking about a match that at the end of it, you thought to yourself, wow, the U.S. has arrived. I might put that game above some of these wins. I mean, that that's how impressive that, that performance was that mm-hmm. day. So I know it's weird to, to put a loss, but that's the one no, that's, game, maybe maybe I, ahead I of the it. Italy, 1-1. One, one, you know.
1: I get it, no, I, I get it. And listen, you, you probably have your own out there if you're watching this that you're saying, oh, you're so stupid, Alexi, why didn't you put that one in? <laughs> well, get in line, uh, okay? But certainly let us know out there about uh, the things uh, that, we, that we messed up in terms of our list. All right, uh, we're gonna take another quick break And when I come back, it's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, as you know, I give you my one for the road, so don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back. It is the end of our show. Stu Holden, you've been wonderful um, for the most part. Thanks for having us. Uh, yes. Me, well, thank, you for, thank you for joining <laughs> us. But at the end of each and every show, I do give you my uh, my one for the road. And this week is, I mentioned earlier in the show that I talked to uh, the great uh, John Strong, your partner who was going to be calling games. And I asked him about the World Cup because I was asking him about some games and uh, things that he was thinking about. And uh, he told me some interesting details and in games that he was thinking about, But then you know, he veered, as he often does, into, you know, much more big picture. And this is a man who feels things uh, in a way that that many of us do, but he's also able to articulate them in, in a wonderful way. And, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, he talked about the campfire experience of a World Cup and what we are going to see come November and December in Qatar. At, for the first time, in a number of years, because let's be honest, without a U.S. team at a World Cup, there is something missing. And yet here in this most unique of World Cups that we are going to see in November and December in Qatar, we are all going to come together. And we are going to come together in a way that, as I said, we haven't in many, many years. And it's awesome. Whether you are a diehard soccer fan and you've been through the soccer wars with the Z and you think about soccer every day of your life, or if you're just somebody who's coming to it for the first time, there is going to be something there for you. We've talked today in the, in the podcast about the red, white, and blue and the American feelings and those moments that make us come together and celebrate. And they're not just celebrating the kicking of a ball in this game. In this case, in a World Cup, you're celebrating your country. And I feel it's the greatest country in the world. We live in interesting times. We live in difficult times. We live in challenging times. We live in dangerous times even. But there are very few things out there that bring us together, bring us together and unite us. And I think the World Cup has the capacity to do that. As I said, this is going to be a really, really interesting and unique World Cup. John Strong understands that, I understand that, everybody here uh, understands that, and there will be ups and downs, there will be storylines, good things and bad things that are happening, but in totality, this opportunity for us to come together, and whether you're watching us uh, from thousands of miles away in the United States, or whether you're not even in the United States, you are still experiencing the World Cup, and that thread that binds us is this this beautiful game that uh, we all know and love, and it's inviting, and it's inclusive, and it brings so many people into the tent during a World Cup. And I, for one, and I don't want to speak for you guys, I am so excited about that opportunity that is going to be laid before us. And we have to take advantage of it. We have to take advantage of it. We cannot afford to waste these incredible platforms to bring everybody in and expose them to the game that we know and love. And expose them in a way with the, with the pageantry and the color and the excitement and all the different things that the World Cup is. So... 100 days from the World Cup, it's going to come like that. And when it does, you better be ready. And we will give you so much content when it comes to the things that we do on Fox. And we can't wait to bring it to you. Because again, it's going to bring people together. And there's very few things in life that do that. And so we're proud uh, of the opportunity to do that. A couple of uh, orders of business here. Uh, As I mentioned in the last pod, we are expanding with content. We also are expanding when it comes to our uh, Twitter handles and social handles out there. All right, so Twitter, at S-O-T-U with Alexi. That's at S-O-T-U with Alexi, State of the Union with Alexi, okay? That's gonna be on Twitter. That's also gonna be on Instagram. That's also gonna be on TikTok. And that's also gonna be on Facebook. Also, we're gonna have our own dedicated channel when it comes to uh, YouTube. Look up State of the Union on that one. That one's not S-O-T-U. Just some uh, some housekeeping there. But we're very excited. You can still follow me and you can still follow these guys for all of my insanity that I give you on Twitter or anything else out there. That's going to continue on. But these are going to be dedicated Twitter handles to the show that will give you a lot more content that's happening, a lot more information specific to the things that are happening on the show. We can't wait. We got an incredible team. You can't see them all here. Some of them are here in the studio. Some of them are behind the scenes that are working their ass off to ramp up everything that we are doing, not just with the Men's World Cup that it's coming, but obviously that's a big part of the thing, but everything that's coming here and for many, many years to come, including Women's World Cups and other stuff that we were doing, all the uh, the soccer content that we have, and the fact that they even care to give us, you know, handles and new handles and all that kind of stuff says that
2: they want us around for a
1: little bit, my friend.
2: Uh, I've dubbed Stu Holden the David Brenner of this podcast. Today, he extends his lead as the most frequent guest on the State <laughs> of the Union podcast. And the man delivers every time. Every single time.
1: Every single time. Uh, before we go, any uh, any thoughts 100 days out from uh, this incredible World Cup that is upon us?
3: Yeah, I've been thinking about how and when I'm going to start my preparation for this tournament. And actually, I view the upcoming September window as really, as all of us, so it's going to Huge. be our last opportunity to see all of these teams, including the United States, in their last games before an actual World Cup, so I'm gonna be analyzing, taking notes, watching games, sat in front of my TV, and uh, thinking about, man, we are 100 days away from all being in Qatar, around that campfire, going game after game after game, to day to day to day, covering what we've all stated today is the best sporting event
2: on the planet. John Strong has dubbed it the greatest collective experience we have as human beings. (laughs) Have you heard that on a promo somewhere?
1: (laughs) I love it, I love it, you know, I mean, Thanks
3: for having me, though, boys. No, I, I love when you. the email comes in my inbox. Uh, it's like, hey, Stu, you want Yes, of no, course. No, as Mossy
1: said, you 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 make uh, it better. Uh, and we're looking forward to all of your work and, uh, and your work, Mossy, and everybody's work going forward. And it's going to be, I call it work, but it, it's a labor of love. Have you
3: thought about your open for day one of the World Cup? I mean, we're 100 days out. You must have your notes down. I got, some stuff. I got some stuff. What you're going to slam the desk with. I got some
1: stuff. Here's my you three
3: know. things to watch. Hey. Rob Stone. As,
1: as a great man and our feelers leader once said, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, you know, you got to pace yourself going Don't through
3: in the first block of the exactly,
1: show. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, my friends, thank you for tuning into uh, the uh, State of the Union podcast. We will be here each and every week. And now we'll be here a couple times a week going forward. So we're really excited about that. Thank you for downloading and reviewing and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. Until next time, for Stu Holden, for David Mossy, I'm Alexi Lawless, And as always, size the day.